Welcome to Bandit's Keep. I'm Daniel. It's not for everyone, and that's okay. This is something that I have to keep repeating to myself over and over again as I continue to noodle away at various systems I'm creating. I can preach all day that everyone should play their own version of D&D and that we should all be creative at our tables and everybody doing the same thing maybe isn't that interesting to me. But still, when I sit there and look at a system and then I think to myself, a system I'm creating that is, and I think to myself, yeah, but what about the person that wants to do this? That's not going to work well for them. I have to remember that every game is not for every person. And I think that it is a probably a misstep, and I am far from a professional game designer, but I think it's a misstep, being that I've been in the creative field my whole life, to want to create something that works for everyone. Because I think in the end, what you will get is sometimes what appears to be success in the beginning, because you have a wider audience, but over time, you end up with what is vanilla. Now, you might look at D&D and say D&D is like the most popular <laughs> you know, RPG and it's vanilla, so what are you talking about? But we have to look back to when D&D was created. D&D was something very, very different. There wasn't, this is my understanding, there wasn't a lot of fantasy wargaming going on anyways. And then also the diving deep into smaller skirmish stuff or individual characters as D&D would be, it was pretty different. I'm sure that if you read books on the history of gaming, people will tell you somebody else came up with this first and everybody did this. But the reality is, is that it wasn't that common. So even though D&D might seem vanilla, it might seem vanilla to have griffins and Medusa and orcs in your game. It wasn't then. And that's what made the sticking point. It became vanilla because it became the standard. So what does that mean? Well, it means that when they made D&D, obviously they wanted more and more people to play it. Everybody wants people to play their games. But I do think, and I'm, I'm, I'm not quoting here, but in the beginning of OD&D, Gygax kind of says as much that he lays it out. This is a game about fantasy, et cetera, et cetera. If that is not your jam, this is not for you. And I think that's a brave statement to make as creators. Because we're always thinking, well, we want to get our product in front of as many people as possible. Number one, because we love when people play our games. Number two, because if you're actually trying to make a living from it, like he was, you need to, you know, sell it. And sometimes the selling point for something is honesty. And just saying, hey, you know what? When we think about it, what drives us to create something is that we want something different. And every time you step back, like I do, and say, oh, but should I add a thief? Oh, but, you know, isn't it going to be boring for this person when only that class can do this thing? I have to remember that for some people, that will be the case. For other people, they will embrace the game and love it or hate it for what it is. You know, I'm also in a very unique space. I sometimes think, oh, well, my group loves it because they're my group, but my group plays Pathfinder. My group plays 5e. My group is not a OD&D group or even a wargaming group for that matter, not even a little bit. So I guess maybe Todd uh, has done some wargaming and Todd is definitely a uh, more of an old school guy, but he joined the group recently. 
And the reality of the situation is that people have adapted to it and they like it and it works for them. They understand. And there is this meta talk sometimes at the table that this is the game. And I think that's something that we lose sometimes, especially it's funny enough in more streamlined games, they purport to be as simple as anything, but then want to accomplish everything, right? They want everybody to love it. And maybe just looking at our games and taking a strong stance and saying, and again, I can't speak for the designers, but saying, this is my vision. This is what I'm doing. And if you don't love it, that's awesome. There's other stuff for you. This is just what I'm playing here. I may make another game that's completely different, but for now, if you don't want this kind of game, that is 100% okay. I'm okay with it. You should be okay with it. You shouldn't feel like I, telling me that I should change my game so it fit you, and I shouldn't tell you you should like a game if it's not your style. So yeah, that's just what I was thinking about today. The idea that, because this comes up a lot, every time I start to really nail down on the game, I think to myself, oh yeah, but what if I want this to happen? Because sometimes it's me, right? Sometimes I'm like, oh, it would be, that's awesome. I love how that's working. But what if I want this in the game? A game can't be everything for all people. I think in the end, that's just a, a fool's task to try, a fool's errand, I guess is how they say it, to try to accomplish that. That's what I think. I would love to know what you think. Do you play lots of different games because you want different experiences? Or do you try to make one game do different things? Or do you just like one general kind of thing? And when I say that, I'm talking about big picture here. Because you might say, well, no, I play Pathfinder and I also play Space Finder, Space Finder, Starfinder. And again, I don't know either one of those two games well enough to know, but I'm assuming they're the same kind of mechanic. They work kind of, okay, here's one I know. You play Mutant Crawl Classics and you play Dungeon Crawl Classics. Well, guess what? You're playing the same game, in my opinion. Those games do the same thing. They work the same. They're just different flavor. What I'm talking about is, do you play very different games with very different stakes, very different mechanics? And do you play them because you like the variety? Or do you just play them because that's what it is? I'd be curious about that. Let me know. You can find ways to reach me down in the show notes below. And speaking of that, I've got some calls. Speaking of Pathfinder, my first call is from Joe Richter of the Hindsightless Podcast. Yo, Daniel, calling in because you were talking about running rules as written and, you know, how that doesn't necessarily make you a better or cooler or anything Dungeon Master than people who don't. And I totally agree with you, man. I actually do run Pathfinder as rules as written, as close to rules as written as I can, but not because I think it makes me better or cooler or anything, but because I'm actually kind of lazy and I don't want to have to make up rules, man. That's one of the reasons I play Pathfinder is because there are the rules. So I try and use them. But yeah, again, if someone wants a house rule, that's totally fine. I actually, in our most recent session of Wrath of the Righteous, and I talk about this on my podcast, so I won't talk about it too long here, but I had to house rule a ruling for a spell that one of the PCs was casting. And so I ended up pulling the group. We talked about it. I was like, what do you guys think? And they're like, yeah, let's 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 rule it in our favor, which, you know, whatever. They're players. I get it. That's totally fine. I didn't think it was game breaking or anything like that. Maybe it'll come back to bite me in the ass. And if it does, I can always be like, hey, guys, so we made this ruling. But I'm seeing now that it, it, it's a little more powerful than we were thinking. So can we walk that back? You know, and it, it'll be fine. But yeah, man, like rules is written. Great. House ruling. Great. Do what you do. Play how you play. But yeah, man, <laughs> running raw doesn't make you cooler. Anyway, Daniel, take it easy. Have a good one and peace out. Thanks, Joe. As mentioned, Joe has the Hindsightless podcast. I'll put a link there. 
And uh, you can hear all about the house ruling of the spell. You know, it's interesting. I think that games that are more uh, complete, <laughs> for lack of a better word, uh, like a Pathfinder is probably, you know, it, it makes it nice. It makes, you know, you say you're lazy. <laughs> it makes it easier almost in a way to run a game like that because you don't have to remember this thing that you did that maybe can conflict with other rules. So, yeah, 100%. I, I was kind of ranting a little bit as usual. So, well, not as usual. I don't usually rant here, but I just, something it was really got me there. So thanks so much for calling in. What was the other thing you said? Oh, I love how you talk about talking about it with the player. So there's two great things are many great nuggets from Joe always, but one is that there was a ruling to be made and it was discussed, which, you know, again, especially if it's something that's involves the players a lot, like the, it's a spell they're going to cast again, theoretically, right? Or it could be, you know, just something you don't know or you don't you don't feel comfortable just deciding because maybe it's a more complex or sometimes just talking through things is great. So talking to your players, I mean, it's their game, too, right? Everybody's playing together is just a great way to do it. But even better than that was when you said, and if it seems like it's not working out later, you sit down and have another conversation. That's something I think that's really important and sometimes is missed in that conversation about making rulings at the table. Whatever you do at your table, whether you're following the book's rules or not, can be changed as you go, right? Even though you use this rule this way, you allowed them or they voted that the spell works this way. If several sessions later, you're just like, okay, this looks crazy. We need to, to talk about this. Then you can, again, make your point and say, well, listen, guys, this is, come on now. In that case, it worked, but here now it's just every time you go into this situation, you're doing this because whatever. And I think most players are reasonable. <laughs> that's been, that's been my experience. I'm sure that there are plenty of we'll call them horror stories because people like to call them of like over the top players. But in my experience, maybe it's because I'm playing with adults. And when I first started playing, I was playing with little kids. We did I didn't play during that like treacherous teenage years or maybe even college years. Oh, I'm trying to win D and D. Which is why I found that whole thing to be a little bit weird. But because, again, I don't have the the background in it. I just find it very odd. But I don't want to go down that road again. I think that that's a great point. If the rules exist and you know them, then there's no reason you know not to use them unless you want to change something. And if you do want to change something, that's cool. And it is a good idea to discuss that with your players. And if something has changed and you're not loving the way it is, then, again, discussing with players to make future changes makes so much sense. So... Thanks, Joe. A lot of, a lot of uh, insight in that one call. And let's see who we have coming up next. All right. We have a call from Jason of the Nerds RPG Variety Cast. I got to scroll back to find it because we had a whole conversation about this. I normally, and I said this before, don't actually listen to the calls until I go to make the recordings. However, when Joe's call came in, I was very excited because <laughs> I was curious well, what he thought about with Pathfinder and stuff being such a really like good, complete rule set. As I say, and there was an issue with the audio recording. So then I was like, oh, I better check Jason's too. So I had already listened to this one, so I won't be as surprised. But you know what? You will be. Hey, Daniel, Jason here. You are correct in the use of y'all versus all y'all. All y'all is a bunch of people. Y'all is just, you know, a smaller group of people. As far as D&D &D and AD&D &D goes, it's funny because I always saw D&D &D as much more... Uh, prescriptive as far as the world goes than AD&D. Now, that, so growing up, you know, I started with Beckme with the 83 box set, the Mints or Red box set, and that's all set in the world of Mystera. And so that was my experience with basic D&D &D up until 
you know, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, whatever, the up until this century. So last century, my experience with basic D&D was all the 1983 Mincer stuff, which was all tied to Mystera. So I always felt basic D&D was a single setting, a single world, and you were tied to that. Where AD&D, because those are the only two kinds of D&D I interacted with, AD&D was an open world and you could set it up however you want. And we didn't play very many AD&D modules. We pretty much wrote our own adventures. So, you know, the worlds were our own. So I always came at, came at it as AD&D is the open where you can do any setting, any kind of campaign, anything you want, where D&D was very prescriptive. Now, looking back at it, I still think the 83 version of Beck Me and the Rule Cyclopedia is very prescriptive. But AD&D, I can see why people might see it's more of a, you know, structured world, like, you know, trying to get people to play the same with Greyhawk or whatever. But not necessarily. If you just take the core books, AD&D is very open to different worlds. And when you look at the art in those books, you see art showing a variety of different things. Look through the Monster Manual. Look at the player characters in the Monster Manual or the DMG. You know, they, you, you've got very different areas and very different kinds of campaigns being shown in the art in those books. Now, BX is much more of an open thing, and OD&D, of course, is much more of an open thing, too. But just I, I just figured I'd weigh in on that. And if I don't call in before, I just want to wish you a happy holidays and a happy new year. And I will. But I'll probably call you before because it's early in the month, isn't it? Okay. Well, I'll, I'll still leave that message there. But hopefully I'll talk to you before then. Take care. That was Jason from the Nerds RPG Variety Cast. Again, I'll put a link in the description below. So... I think Jason may have slightly mistook what I meant <laughs> uh, here, but I want to address it, which I didn't actually address privately. So what I meant was that AD&D has, well, it purports to be a complete rule set. That is to say that you can all sit down at the table and all the rules are there, and thus every table is playing the same, right? That was the whole idea. People will say, oh yeah, it was for tournaments, which I think Gygax mentions a bunch, but the idea too was, and is, and is put out there and was said, uh, you know, if AD&D is AD&D, you got to play it the way it's written or you're not playing AD&D. Of course, he was trying to sell books. We all know that. You can take whatever angle you want. But part of, and I don't think this is the only place, but one place where this comes up in conversation or in writing by Gygax, especially early on, is in Dragon Magazine number 26. He has them on CD or whatever, and he went and looked through them. And he actually did like a little screenshot of part of it. And I'm, and he, and he made a good point, which is true, is that you could make an entire series of podcasts out of just this like paragraph here. But what I think the, the, what I was talking about was Guy Gax was basically saying that he's like, you can do whatever you want with the game, but if you start messing things, changing things around, changing rules, you know, basically house ruling, which is what I was talking about, not building a world, which we'll talk about in a second, then you are not playing AD&D, you are playing D&D, which is a game that you make yourself. And in fact, that's basically what he says here. I'll just read a little piece of this. The D&D system allows the highly talented, individualistic, and imaginative hobbyist a vehicle for devising an adventure game from which is tailored to him or her and his or her group. Advanced Dungeons & Dragons, with its clearer, easier approach, is bound to gain more support for those people for most people, play games, not live them. 
So the idea here is that you don't need to do anything with AD&D. You just play it the way it is, which again comes down to the raw thing, which is what I was talking about. Insofar as world building is concerned, that's a completely different uh, subject, I think. I did not have nor play the Menser box sets, but from what I can tell, the those box sets and the gazetteers that came out around them, or maybe probably after them, but to be used with them, were in fact a very set world. The, you know, obviously, I would assume that people could play whatever they wanted, but they gave you this world, and maybe the idea was you'd play in this world. BX, they didn't give you the world because it wasn't around long enough, right? All you got was the little bit they did in the back of the expert book, and I guess if you got the the module, the second module, the the island one. Oh man, it's slipping my <laughs> Isle of Dread. Uh, you know, you had a little bit of the world there. But yeah, BX was more open. But directly addressed in this article is OD&D, is what they're talking about. Maybe I should have been more clear there. Because I think whenever Gygax was talking about D&D versus AD&D, again, in the Dungeon Master's Guide, in the Player's Handbook, in the Monster Manual, like in the early uh, parts of it, he's talking about OD&D, not any of the basic sets, although he could be talking about homes, I suppose. Because those basic sets don't exist yet. So he's literally talking about OD&D. And, you know, to kind of take an OSR mindset and move forward, when you look at BX, BX is really an extension of OD&D, or I guess you could say Holmes, but it's a reimagining of OD&D. And I think Beckme was as well, at least the first couple of books, maybe the first three books. As they start to get into the all the skill systems and stuff that Jason's talking about in his podcast, that's a little different. None of that was really in OD&D, so that becomes a brand new thing. I also wonder, too, again, I'm not uh, 100% sure on the timelines here, but I think we start getting into the whole we're going to give you a prepackaged world vibe in that 83-84 time period because you start having things like Dragonlance and even the Greyhawk uh, portfolio. Then after that, you get things like Lankmar settings and stuff like that. So you do start to get setting books for AD&D. So I'm not so sure that that didn't exist for there. But I treated AD&D like a completely open world that we created our own game. So I would 100% agree with you on that. But I was talking more about the rule sets, not the, you know playing the rules, if you will, versus the uh, playing the world. <laughs> we'll say it like that. But I do love what Kygax says about OD&D because that's really how I imagine it. When you are playing OD&D, it is a tool set to create your own game. And that's pretty awesome to me. The next set of calls is from none other than Merc the Meek. And of course, Merck has a new podcast. Is it fair to say new now? It's probably been out for a month or so. If you have not checked out Merck the Meek podcast, please do. I will put a link in the show notes. Lots of fun stuff over there. Uh, very mouse-centric. <laughs> I joke, but he's, he's been talking a lot about Mouse Ritter and stuff, and it's it's really fun. Got me looking at my little Mouse Ritter set again. So, well, set. It's a printout is what I have. Although I think they did make a box set for that. I'll have to look into that, but I, I have I bought the PDF early on, and I have a little printout that I did on my own printer. Anyways, here's Merck. Hey, Daniel, this is Merck. When you and KR were talking about rules as written on Monsters and Treasure, I was going to call in, but I was having a hard time not being negative about it, too. So I, I could commiserate with you, I suppose. Uh, uh, Colin over at Spike Pit, though, was just put out his podcast about how he wants to run a game with his kids uh, run. I think it was BX or maybe it was back me or something like that, but he pitched it to his son 
And his son was like, no, I don't want to roll 3d6 down the line. I don't want to do, you know, this rules as written type of um, adventure. And so he was, he just kind of said, well, what should I do? And I said, who cares about what the actual rule is, you know, compromise to get him to the table. So that's my thought on the matter. Hey, Daniel, Merck. I think I have board games on my mind since your your last call in to my show, um, but yeah, you're you know talking about raw again, uh, and yeah, why why do we need to be such strict adherence to the rules in an RPG? We aren't playing a board game. We're playing something that is infinitely open ended there shouldn't be a rule for everything that's that would be insane so we need to make rulings i mean i guess that's slightly different than house rules but yeah i don't i don't i guess i just don't understand that mindset like this this is a very open ended thing there's going to be need for improvisation and i think that should be implicit but who knows take care all right thanks merk that was Merck the Meek, as I said. Great podcast, which I will put a link in the show notes to as it would be. So, to address that. <laughs> yeah, I agree, obviously. <laughs> but the, the raw. So, as far as Colin's uh, situation, I 100% agree with you. I think that we want to make the game as, as approachable to as many people as possible. So, if we're running something, like if I'm running a game and it won't break. I mean, there are obviously some situations where we might want to, you know, we've got five or six people on board and they all want to do a low magic human only thing. And then somebody's like, well, I want to play, you know, a, a dwarf, you know, maybe you could be like, look, that's not exactly uh, going to fit here, but what is it about the dwarf that you like? Maybe we can make that work in our world, right? There's always a compromise. And I think in their case, I think the this child wanted to just make the character they wanted to make, and I don't see any reason why you can't just do that. Again, stat array, using, these are things Colin mentioned, using 46, drop the lowest. You could even just start at a higher level. I mean, that that's, I often recommend that for OSR type things. If you have somebody that, that isn't, not, not even not experienced, but just that's not their favorite. They're, they like some of these other games that the characters have a little bit more power, a little bit more skills and stuff. You can always just, play a slightly higher level game. I, you know, assuming everybody's on board with that. So yes, 100%. To the second part. Yeah. I, you know, it's funny. I mean, even in board games, I think so. I have this Buck Rogers board game, funny enough from TSR and in the rules, it even says that you can make modifications to the rules that you see fit. <laughs> but yeah, I think when people think of a board game, they think of more like follow this step, follow this step. Or obviously if it's something competitive, like if you're playing poker in a tournament, you know, you've got to make sure the rules are down. But this is a role-playing game, right? It's open-ended. That's like the idea of it. From the very beginning, from the, the very first role-playing game, published role-playing game, how do you want to say it, which is D&D, it says, don't let us do all the imagining for you or something to that effect. They want you to just imagine and to do stuff and to create. That's the point of the game. And yeah, to, to be like, no, 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 we must strictly adhere to this, it it, it just seems a little bit off to me personally. Again, talking about people's individual tables and not even that you want to play it that way, but that you insist that others do. That was really what the podcast was about. 
I don't I don't care if you play rules as written, and I do. That's why I kind of start off by saying I generally do follow the rules on games that I'm able to follow all the rules. But to somehow project that as this like state of perfection is just is just really silly to me. So, anyways, that was that. Um, there's one more call from Merck. I would certainly be interested in five E Unchained. Uh, simplifying it would be better. It's- yeah, streamlining combat. I I think we think very much the same when it comes to extremely long combats and RPGs. Just no thanks. So that's that's one of the hard things. I mean, I I love my Five E group. I the dynamics were great. Everyone was super cool. It's just the combats. <laughs> I could deal without them. Um, yeah. So if you could streamline that. Daniel, I'd, I'd throw money at you. Maybe you could get a million-dollar Kickstarter going. So um, curious to see where that goes. Take care. <laughs> yeah, that might be the idea, right? That's that's the one that gets me. You know, it would be appropriate if the the product that I eventually launch is a 5e product since 5e got me back into the hobby. I mean, I, I have nothing uh, – I have no animosity towards the system. It's just a little bit more high magic and, again, a little bit more – of long combats than I tend to like, you know, I don't know that the system wouldn't work. The hardest part about converting anything to unchained is to figure out how many figures to allow any particular class to fight as. So the more classes you have, especially if you want to show variety, the more you'd have to figure that out, figure out the figures. And I guess that would be what I'd want to work on. I think maybe scaling it up to using like D tens or something might actually work well for something like five E because then you could have a lot more, uh, space to move within but it's still the same thing right you're you're rolling d10s instead of d6s and that way you have you know instead of uh, obviously the magic user with their their dagger might only be able to hit on a 10 but then you can have like you know clerics on a nine and thieves on a eight or whatever are these better than clerics from combat i don't really know anyways <laughs> yeah i'd have to look at that but yeah i could totally see doing a, a more simplified thing i think the main issue with me in those combats was that i thought that the Generally speaking, the output of the martial classes, I'm talking about 5e over here, uh, is not equal to the rise in the hit points, if that makes sense. I think the spellcasters, maybe, but not the martial classes. So what you end up with is, is and of course, if it was equal to, then why have more hit points? I think I might have said the same. I'm probably repeating myself, but yeah, I, I would, uh, I'd be curious to see if I could slap some kind of abstract combat right on top of the 5e system. I bet you I could. And uh we can see where that goes. That might be it right there. You may have seen the birth of a <laughs> of an empire. <laughs> uh, anyways, thanks so much for your call. I will put a link to the Merc the Meek podcast, to Hind Sightless podcast, and to Nerds RPG Variety cast in the show notes so you guys can check them out. I will also put a link to Spike Pit so you guys can check out that episode. Maybe call in and give them some advice or, you know, thoughts, what you think about that kind of thing. It's a great podcast. Colin's uh, one of the, the uh, one of, if not the first podcast of RPG podcasts I actually ever listened to. So there you go. I think it was either them or Tim Shorts. One of those two was the first, and I follow them both still to this day. In any case, I have now created a almost 30-minute podcast that I only wanted to create a five-minute podcast. <laughs> oh, Yes. You can check down in the description below. You're going to find a link because Monsters and Treasure was also mentioned. That's my other podcast with uh, 
the infallible K.R. King. Go ahead and listen to that and see what K.R. has to say. Uh, let's see. You can also find a link to my Discord server. Join the Discord server. Lots of fun stuff going on over there. Actually, there there is a, it's funny, There I have a section over there on designing games, and some of the stuff people come up with is just fantastic. I, like, I love seeing different people's ideas. So jump in there and just chat around, talk to people, see what's going on. There's also a link down there to my Patreon if you want to support the podcast. Oh, and also, I don't think I've ever mentioned on the podcast, I have t-shirts. You cannot see them because this is a podcast. You'll have to imagine what they look like. It doesn't have my face on it, so no worries there. But if you're interested in supporting and you don't, uh, you're not a Patreon person type and you want to support, that's a cool way to do it. They are sold on Amazon, so if you're somewhere where Amazon doesn't reach you or the shipping's crazy, then I'm sorry, you can't get one. But otherwise, uh, check out the t-shirts. That was a really long commercial. Sorry. <laughs> I'll talk to you soon.